Prayer is one of those topics that if you're a follower of Jesus, it probably doesn't take you much convincing to, to, to realize that you probably should pray more or that you should take prayer more seriously. It's also something, if you're a follower of Jesus, that it doesn't take long to realize it's kind of part of the whole deal. Um, even if you're actually new to the whole God thing, even if you're not really, even wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or even not religious at all, like you're probably still at least vaguely familiar with prayer. You've probably been around somebody who's prayed or even, right, it's even, even people who would consider themselves to be atheists or agnostic um, will even, might even find themselves in a moment when things get really bad or hard that they might in desperation just throw out a prayer in their thoughts or in their mind. See, for all of us, prayer is something that is significant and it matters. Yet the reality is despite how commonplace it might be, we also aren't very good at it. We don't understand it. We don't, uh, maybe we don't talk about it enough. And many of us are just not disciplined in the practice of prayer. And so we've been using this season to talk about the, how to pray like Jesus. To really um, have really a guide for us. See, when the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, they're not asking for information. They're not asking for a theological treatise about how prayer works. They just want Jesus to show them how to do it. Jesus, just teach us how to pray. Give us some principles. Give us something to put into practice. And so for the disciples, this is something for them to do. It's not just information for them to hear, but they would take then what Jesus did, and they would try to do what Jesus did. And so we've been using this series to take different aspects of the Lord's Prayer to see how Jesus models worship and adoration in his prayer so that we could pray understanding the relationship that we have with God as Father. We've been talking about it to understand how we maybe be, might be able to intercede for another person. That when we pray thy kingdom come, it's not just words we use, but we're praying that the kingdom of God would actually show up in a person's life. That it would rescue them. That people would experience freedom, freedom from addiction and freedom from strongholds. That they would experience salvation, that God would rescue them. And so we can take the people we love and then ask God, God, may your kingdom show up in their reality. Last week... Um, Joe and Autumn shared about unanswered prayers, that the, the prayer that when we say thy will be done, there's a releasing of control that often then also is attached to it, prayers of lament and prayers filled with hurt and pain and heartache. Today we want to talk about prayer from another perspective using this phrase that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 6 verse 11 when he says, give us today our daily bread. Now this passage in particular, I think it's one that it is, it, it could be really easy for us to read right over this and miss an underlying weight and significance that Jesus is putting here. See, for many of us, what, because we, maybe we're familiar with the words, maybe we've read this before, or maybe we just memorized at some point the Lord's Prayer, and so we'll quickly read over this and take, take it for granted that, well, obviously he's talking about our provision, he's talking about our needs, which is certainly true. Right? Jesus is teaching us to pray for provision, to pray for food and for home and for, and for clothes. Like all of those things are a part of that. But I would suggest that as we look throughout the scriptures, it's even deeper than that. Jesus, as he says this phrase, he is echoing the language of the Exodus story. The story where the Israelites are in the wilderness and they are reliant on God to eat. And so every day they would come out, and in order to survive, they needed daily bread. Manna would be delivered from heaven. And so in many ways, Jesus is echoing this language. But for Jesus, it's not just about food. 
It's about a dependence on God. And to better understand what I think Jesus is getting at beyond just the plain and simple and obvious um, layer of provision, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 4. Now in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 3 is when Jesus gets baptized. And Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River. John the Baptist dunks him in the water. And as he comes out, a voice from heaven, God the Father, speaks to, speaks to Jesus and speaks to everyone listening and says, This is my beloved son, and with him I am well pleased. And so it's a moment where the Father speaks identity over Jesus and says, this is who he is. This is who I called him. This is who I've made him. And then it's after that that Jesus is led into the desert. The text tells us the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And that language, wilderness, should echo the Old Testament when the Israelites are in the wilderness and when God provided manna from heaven. And so it's connected to this idea of daily bread. And so Jesus is listening to the Holy Spirit. He's being obedient to the Spirit and then ends up in the wilderness fasting and praying for 40 days. And this is significant because I think for many of us, it's often on the tales of you hearing who you are in Christ that then there is needed a battle as you get on your knees, as you seek God, as you listen to the Spirit in order to be reminded of who you are because it's at the end of those 40 days when the enemy confronts Jesus. And the reason Jesus can respond the way he does is not just because he's God, but because he is dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit, because he is listening to the voice of his Father and the guidance of the Holy Spirit as he is in the wilderness. And that 40 days isn't Jesus just wandering around. It's 40 days he is talking and he is listening and he is reciting scripture he's memorized and he is asking the Holy Spirit, all right, what do you want me to know? What do you want to do? And so then in Matthew chapter 4, when the enemy confronts Jesus, being obedient to the Holy Spirit, he is ready. And so the enemy confronts Jesus first with a temptation of bread. He says, turn these stones into bread. But for Jesus, it's never really been about bread. There's something more, even when he prays, give us this day our daily bread. There's something we need more than bread, right? He's been 40 days without bread. It's not really about food. And so Jesus says this in Matthew 4. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, there's a reality that for Jesus, the thing we rely on the most is not the food we eat, but it is the word that God speaks. We rely on hearing words that come from God, to listen to God. And so as we talk about prayer, when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, yes, certainly we are praying for protection and we're praying for provision, but we are also praying that we would hear the words that God speaks, that, that those words would be evident to us. That we would hear and be reminded of those over and over again. Now there are a number of places where we can see this throughout the scriptures. We certainly see this as Jesus is in the wilderness, right? He's not spending 40 days just talking to God. He is listening. He is being quiet. He is being still. We also see Jesus as he is doing miracles and as he's teaching. He often, we read, he withdraws to the quiet place. Which if you're an introvert in the room, you are like cheering right now. Like, thank you, Jesus. Let me get away from the people. But we see this right over and over again that Jesus often needs to be alone. 
Many of you, the way you live your life, you never try to get withdraw from people and withdraw from the no, withdraw from the noise and never find time to be still and be quiet. And you're imitating Satan more than you're imitating Jesus. But what we see from Jesus, what does he do? He gets to the quiet place. Why? So he can listen. So he can just be with his father. In the book of Psalms, we see this kind of language, this language of listening and hearing. The psalmist uses the language meditation. It says they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. When it says the law of the Lord, it's really the, it's the teachings of God. It's the scriptures. And when they say meditating, they don't just mean like I read it. Right? It's not like, oh, I just I read it, I know what it says. No, it's sitting with it. It's sitting in the presence of God with the text and listening. What does God want to say to me? So it's not just knowing the words. It's what, are, what does God want to speak to my heart as I wrestle with this text, as I sit and listen and just be in the presence of God. Now, some of you, you hear a word like meditation. Um, there are other words even used throughout church tradition like contemplation. And you, and you start to feel like, all right, what... Like that, that sounds like all touchy-feely and, and it just, it, it feels new agey. Like that, like how can that be of God? Um, the difference here is this, meditation, when, when described in the scripture, is not about emptying your mind. That's what culture would say is meditation. It's emptying our mind. In scripture, meditation is actually filling our mind with the things of God. So when the scriptures say, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, right, that's what we're talking about. We fix our eyes on Jesus and we listen to what the Holy Spirit speaks in that moment. Another example in the book of Joel, Joel is one of the prophets. All throughout the prophets, what you can see is that there is this desire that people would hear and that people would listen and so in Joel, he prophesies in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, by saying it this way. He says, afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Now he's saying this, basically saying, there is this desire that there will be a day when people can hear from God and encourage one another with what they hear from God. Now, this is not meant to be prescriptive in that, well, if you're going to hear from God, you're going to dream dreams and have visions. Like, he's not saying this is the only way, which if you do, that's great. Um, but he's not saying that's the way you have to hear from God. He's just saying that there will be a day when people have access to the Holy Spirit in a way that didn't exist before. And so what he's referring to is what we see in the Hebrew scriptures, right? In that day, right, there are prophets who are chosen who God speaks to, and then God would speak to them and they would speak to others. Or you would have priests who go to the temple and go into the holy holies on behalf of the people. But he's saying there will be a day when the spirit will live in people. That you won't need a mediator because you already have a mediator. In Acts chapter 2, as, as Luke records the history of the early church, he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, that the, that day has arrived. On the Pentecost, he actually quotes Joel chapter 2 in order to say, it's, this, this has arrived. What we have been waiting for, that moment when all who follow Jesus have access to, to the power of God, when all who follow Jesus can hear the voice of God speaking to them, that day has arrived. All who have faith in Jesus have that same spirit. And so what Joel dreamed of, Luke says it's here. 
In Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah is another prophet um, who records some of the most beautiful prophecies about Jesus, about his birth and about, about his death. Matt even read from Isaiah 61, um, this, this incredible poetic language. In Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet asks this rhetorical question, which is incredible. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? And I think this is easy for us to read. We, we get the rhetorical question, like the obvious answer, like no one. Like, of course Isaiah means no one's known. But get this. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 changes the answer. All right, how incredible is that? In 1 Corinthians 2, the Apostle Paul quotes Isaiah 40 and says, Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? He says, we do. We have the mind of Christ. And so what was before a rhetorical question, which we couldn't know the mind of God, we couldn't know the heart and the thoughts of God, Paul says we have the mind of Christ. That we can hear God speak into our thoughts, into our minds. If, we have, if we've been created by God in the image of God and been given our mind and our reason and our senses, then God can speak into that. Why? Because Jesus has died and rose from the dead. He has paved a way that we have access to hear God that we couldn't before. That because of Jesus, God wants to speak directly to our hearts and to our minds. See, what Jesus is teaching us is to listen. To listen to the one who knows more and cares more. The phrase has been often said, right? We have two ears and one mouth, so we can listen twice as much as we speak. I think we should apply that into our prayer life as well. That it would help if we don't talk so much. I think most of the time, many of us treat our prayers as we're going to tell God the things he already knows. What if we did that a little bit, right? We petition God and make requests of God. But what if we also ask God more questions? What if we ask God what he wanted to do? What he wanted to teach us? Jesus is teaching us to listen the theologian Dallas Willard actually describes it this way, saying it's only expected then that God would speak to us as persons who know each other, care about each other, and are interested in common enterprises together. In other words, when the scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ laid down his life for his friends, then we can assume that that also then means that God would speak to us as friends. That he would speak as one who cares about us and who wants to be on mission with us when the, the Bible tells us that we are co-laborers of Christ. Jesus treats us as one who is a co-laborer with him. And so what do we do? How do, how do we then do this? If we're going to try to listen, like how, how do we do that in our prayer life? Because this is, for some of us, this is a new idea. Prayer has always just been the things we say to God, not what we do listening and just being with God. Right, that can be a challenge. I also want to just give a quick plug um, to, our, to the Faith YouTube channel. There's a series on there called God, um, Does God Still Speak? And so there's a bunch of tools and ways that we can practice this and learn this. And um, there's some guided prayers in that. And so um, I felt weird talking about it. But Corey, my, my brother who works on staff, said we have to talk about it because he manages social media. And so I'm doing this to get him off my back, not because I want to plug a series that I did. Um, but th it's an incredibly helpful tool that can help us really think about and process um, that. But I want to share a couple things that I've learned um, as I've really tried to wrestle with, like, how do I listen to God? How do I do this? Because it doesn't come naturally to me. I prefer to, to hear from God by being around people, by talking about my faith with people, by being in a room and singing um, to Jesus. Um, being alone, like, I, just, I don't want to do that very long. Yet what I've also learned is there's something about it that is so incredibly valuable. 
And so some things that I've learned are pretty simple. One, we got to learn to be quiet, which is really, really hard to do in our world, right? Because there is so much noise. There are so many distractions. We're always connected. Like people can reach us at any time. And there, and, and there is fears and there's anxieties. There's, there's, and there's not only the noise that's all around us, but then like once you get that finally quiet, you still have to deal with all the noise in here. Like all the things that you're hearing and the things that your mind is racing through. But more and more what I keep seeing is, well, but Jesus still found a quiet place. And what, what's really crazy though is some of us think that we could do it better than Jesus. And so we're like, I don't need to find quiet. I'm just going to do it while, while I'm doing all these other things. Like, I, I can do it while my kids are making all this noise, or I, while I'm driving the car, which, which are good things, right? Still spend time with Jesus that way. But just so you know, Jesus often went to somewhere just to be alone and quiet. And so we could learn from Jesus by also doing what Jesus did, of being intentional about the moments of stillness and solitude. Now, what I've also learned is it takes some work to figure out how that works for you. Like right now in my house, morning doesn't work really well. Like I will try to make it quiet and I'll get my coffee ready because you can't really hear God without coffee. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. Um, and, and, but, and so like I, I'll get my coffee ready. But every time, like that's when the kids walk down the stairs. Every single, and so, and man, they always have something to say. Like they're talking about the shows they're watching and the Legos they're building. And, and I love it. Um, but I can't like yell at them because I'm having my Jesus time. Like that doesn't set a good example. Um, so I've learned that that doesn't work well. Like eventually, and it'll get nice, so I'll be able to go walk around the block and then like come back. Um, but I still know we're in that weird season. Like it's nice, but it might snow. We don't really know. Um, but what I've learned is, and, and I've learned this, why, how? By trial and error. Like I've tried it in the morning. Nope, it's a little bit hard. And I'll still try to read and spend time with Jesus. But I also need to find other moments. Maybe it's the end of the day. Which in the bed doesn't work very well for me because I'll fall asleep. Um, and so go downstairs and I sit and be, try to be intentional. Um, intentional by finding a space, finding a time where it's quiet, where I can listen. I've also learned that I should probably stop talking. See, because in my prayer life, that's my tendency. That's what I've grown up learning. That's how you pray. You, you just, you talk. And then, um, and if you're praying in a group and nobody's talking, somebody better talk soon, right? We don't, we get really uncomfortable. Like if it's quiet for 10 seconds and no one jumps in, like we, we start to freak out a little bit. Like even when we were in a room and we're like saying we are going to be quiet and listen, like we don't know what to do. Or, and even like, even, even if you're not talking, like, I know what you, like you're thinking about when it's your turn to talk. Like what are you going to say then? But we need to learn to not be doing those things and just listen. To pay attention. To be mindful of what starts to come to surface while we're with Jesus. To pay attention to our bodies. God created our bodies. We are embodied people. We're not just some disembodied soul floating around. And so start, pay attention to what you feel like when you pray. When you're being with Jesus, you start to feel anxiety. Listen to that. Pay attention to the fears that start to come to the surface. Because God is maybe bringing something up in that. And so when you stop talking, ask a question and just listen. Wait on God. And maybe what comes to your mind, you might have to discern, is this God, is this me? Right? You might have the to-do list and the bills and all the things you got to do. Um, and that's okay. Go with it. Like, oh, here's what came to mind. Ask Jesus another question. God, what do you want me to know about that? Why is that on my heart right now? And then again, just wait. Stop talking and just see 
And so maybe God wants to say you're distracted. Maybe he wants to say, I want you to rest. Maybe, um, maybe he then starts there and just brings you to something else. Or maybe that's the thing he's trying to cry. I don't know, but you won't know if you don't ever stop. For me, I've also learned that part of stop talking and listening is, like, if I write it out, it helps me. And so sometimes I'll grab my phone, which isn't always a great way to do it because I'll, um, I'll try to write it in my phone and somebody texts me. But, but I'll often do it just because it's there. Um, other times, though, I'll try to write it out, like, in, in a notebook. Um, I'll even do it. At, I'll even go so far as I'll write my question in one color and then what I'm paying attention and listening for, I'll write in another color. Um, all as a way just to, all right, Stop talking and pay attention. And then by writing it what, it, what it's doing is it's helping me process it right in that moment to clarify, all right, what was me? What's God? Does this match what God is saying to me in the scriptures? Um, just to help clarify all of that for me. The third thing that I've really learned and has been really, really challenging, this has been the biggest hurdle in all of this for me, is I've also needed to consider my expectations. See, I think the longer and longer you're a follower of Jesus, the more expectations you have on Jesus. And usually the way you expect Jesus to act is going to be like yourself. And so you start to think, like, if I was God, here is how I would talk to people. If here is God, here's how I would respond. And you even know some things about God. And you can point, like, I know when God did this, and I know he had the power to do this and this and this. Um, but what starts to happen is we start to have expectations that don't actually match what God has done all throughout the scriptures. And so let me give examples. And these are things that I've wrestled with or th and things that I've heard um, a number of us talk about before. And um, one of those expectations that we often have is if God speaks to us, it will be obvious. We won't question it. The problem is that's not what actually happens in the Bible when God speaks to people. In John chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus is predicting his own death, and a voice from heaven speaks. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to say, the crowd that was there heard it. Right? That's how the text describes that event, which, which leads me to believe this is an audible voice we're talking about. That a voice from heaven spoke and people heard it. And then the text goes on um, to, that people responded to this audible voice, and some said it was thunder, and others said an angel. Which leads me to believe God could speak audibly and we would still question it. We would still would say, yeah, I mean, was that really God? Are we all delusional? Maybe that was thunder. Like, I'm not really sure. Or, uh, like, another expectation I have, like, is if, you know, I don't want God just speaking into my heart and into my mind. I want him to do it, like, in a supernatural way. Like, I want it to, like, I want the angel to show up. Um, but, I, but And I only kind of mean that because, like, if the angel shows up, I want him to at least, like, knock on the door or something first because, like, just showing up in the middle of the night would be terrifying. Um, but, but, here, but we start to think, you know, if God spoke in a supernatural way, then I'd believe him. The problem is that's not what happens in the Bible. In Luke chapter 1, an angel shows up to Zechariah. And this is in this period, there's been about 400 years of silence in terms of prophecies and people hearing and speaking the word of God that way. And so an angel shows up to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a baby, and he laughs. Right? This is an angel we're talking about. He's like, I don't, I don't believe that. See, I have a feeling most of us, if an angel showed up and spoke to us, we wouldn't believe them. 
Or, or what about a vision? Like, you know, a vision would be really cool. Like, then it would be clear. Like, it would be, like, that would make it way easier. Like, I'm not even sleeping, so I don't even have to wake up and, like, remember the dream. Like, a vision, like, it happened, and, like, I see something, and it's there, and I can write it all down and share it. Like, then I'd believe. The problem is Peter, who Jesus calls the rock, right? Jesus says, on this rock, meaning Peter's confession, that I'll build my church. Like, so he is a big deal. Peter has a vision in Acts chapter 10. And in his vision, he, he, he sees and hears God saying, kill and eat. And, and what, what's happening in that, we, hear, we can read the rest of the story and we know that God is instructing him how to reach all nations. That, and so Peter observed kosher laws and so there were certain things he couldn't eat. And God is saying, nope, I'm going to the Gentiles now. So I'm going to need you to do some things that you're not comfortable with in order to reach those people who are far from me. Peter says, I don't, I'm not so sure that this is really God. Like he... He doesn't get it. The text tells us Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. Or we think, you know, if God speaks to me directly, like if only I heard it from the mouth of Jesus, then I'd understand him. The problem is, did the disciples ever understand what Jesus is talking about? No, like Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is teaching them in a parable, and what do they do right after the parable? The same thing they always do after the parable. All right, Jesus, tell us what it means. I don't get it. Maybe the best evidence that you are hearing the voice of God is that you question it. Maybe the best evidence that you are actually hearing God's voice is that you're not really sure you understand it. Because when we look at the scriptures, isn't that what happens when God speaks? People question it. People doubt it. People don't understand it. People explain it away. People say that, that you don't mean me. And, and let me ask you this. When you hear the lies of the enemy, do you question it? Nope. So when you, like when you hear, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not a very good mom. I am a terrible dad. Do you ever question that? Like when, you, when you start to feel like, you know, I, I'm in this alone. Like no one cares. Do you, do you question that? See, we don't question the lies of the enemy, but we question the words that God speaks. Maybe the best evidence that you're actually hearing God is that you are questioning it. Because the things that you're not questioning aren't very good truths to anchor your life on. And so what would it look like for us to begin to listen and to begin to learn? And, and here's the thing. God have could, could have designed it to be a little simpler. Like he could have set it up so we FaceTime every morning. Like we, we could get up on Mondays and G Jesus like, I see my phone ringing. I answer it before I get in the car. And he starts to talk. He's like, I know, hey, I know last night was a hard night. And I know your daughter's like not sleeping. Um, I'll take care of that when she's like eight. Um, but we'll, like, we'll get there for now. You're just not going to sleep. So just stick to that coffee. Like we'll be good. And hey, I want to give you about like three. Let's just give you three points. A, B, C. We'll even do alliteration here. And so I'll give you those things. And then we can hang up. And you don't even worry about me till like bedtime. Like we don't even have to talk. I'll call you back then. Um, and then we'll, and, and no, I'll even throw in a text. I'll encourage you a couple times during the day, just so you know, like God could have set it up that way, but he didn't. 
And so maybe there's something to the process. Maybe there's something to the practice that that is the way God actually intended it. That he desired the practice. To find in those moments that he would be drawing us nearer and nearer to him. That we, in those moments of struggling and wrestling and questioning, that we would be learning even more who God is and learning how he created us to be. He could have made it different, but he didn't. And so instead we have to learn, to hear, to listen, to understand. Scientifically speaking, we have a limited range of hearing. We can hear sound waves between 20 and 20,000 hertz. Anything below 20 is infrasonic. Anything above 20,000 is considered ultrasonic. And so infrasound, in fact, is what zoologists suggest. That's what allows an elephant to actually predict weather patterns. Um, it's also what allow, it helps birds when they're migrating. Above 20,000 would be what we consider ultrasonic or ultrasound. It's what allows us, we can, you can, it can shatter glass. It can um, kill insects. It also allows you to see an unborn baby, right? There's incredible science between uh, uh, related to sound and both the sounds we can hear and the sounds we can't hear. Now what gets really interesting is depending on where you live and what you experience, your, your ears are actually trained better for different frequencies. And so the French ear, for example, hears best between 1,000 and 2,000 hertz. The British bandwidth is actually between 2,000 and 12,000. The American ear is between 750 and 3,000 hertz. Which is why, depending on where you're from, you hear things differently. Including when somebody speaks the same language, you even hear things, all, all kinds of factors, how your ears are tuned as well as, as, as um, accents and experiences, all those things then factor into how a person hears another person. And I would suggest our ears are not just physically trained, but they are emotionally and relationally and spiritually trained as well. And so when we hear something, our ears have been trained to think about it in a certain way. Because of your family of origin, you, you hear things a certain way. And so you filter it through your experience. You filter it through trauma. You filter it through whatever you experience. Our ears are trained because of our church backgrounds. Because of a lack of a church background or because of a bad church background. Because of a good church background. All of that then trains our ears to hear and to respond to things a certain way. We're trained, uh, our ears are trained because of our politics. And so we hear things a certain way and we are taught to respond a certain way. Our ears are trained a certain way because of where we live, because of our cultural backgrounds. All of those shape the way we hear things. I would argue that we need to train our ears to hear the voice of God for that to be the first filter before all of these other places and experiences of life that have trained our ears to hear other things. And so for some of you, that might be hard. That might not be the way your ears have been trained. And for some of you, there might be parts of that that's easy. You might have been, maybe your church experience, like it's easier to, you've trained your ears to hear the voice of God as you read the text. And, and so like you that, but hearing and listening in a moment of prayer, that's challenging. Or maybe for you, like when you're worshiping and singing together with people, like that, that's easy for you. But, but being still and silent, that's hard. And that's okay that it's hard. The hope as Jesus teaches us to listen is that we would practice and as we would, that we would learn to listen, to hear and experience the depth of his love and his mercy. And so what I want to do for us as we close 
is I want to help us listen and really put this into practice. And to do that, we're going to go to Psalm chapter 23. And so if you could grab your Bibles and go to Psalm 23. If you're using Bibles in the seats in front of you, it's on page 862. If you're um, watching online, if you want to just grab your phone or a Bible that's near you, um, we're going to, I'm encouraging you, if we can just do this together. And what we're going to do um, is we are going to read this text. This text is a psalm of David. David is an incredible, he is a warrior poet. Um, and this, this text is filled with beautiful poetry that you can almost envision David as he writes it, praying with God and just being with God. You can, you can picture what David pictured in this. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read Psalm 23 to you, um, and then we're going to invite God to speak. And we're going to be still, and we're going to listen, and then we'll have some space, and then we'll go back to Psalm 23, and then I'm going to invite you to actually read it out loud with me. And then again, we're going to ask God to speak. And when I, when I say we're asking God to speak, what I, what I mean is pay attention to the thoughts, to the pictures that pop into your mind. And then, uh, and then a third time, we will, we, we'll then invite God to speak by really just drawing us into a particular word or a phrase or a passage. And then I'm just going to invite you to, to sit with that um, and just spend time wrestling with that and asking God, God, what do you want to show me? God, what do you want me to know about this word, this phrase? Why is this what's grabbing me right now? And so I'm going to start in Psalm 23. Here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow after me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Holy Spirit, would you come? We know that you are a shepherd, and as the good shepherd, we know that the sheep can hear your voice and I just invite you to speak that you would speak to us what you want us to hear bring words and phrases and thoughts to mind to encourage us Jesus what, what do you want us to hear this moment At this time, I'd invite you to read with me out loud from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus, what do you want us to hear in this moment? Is there a pain? Is there a feeling? Is there something that is holding on to us that you want to bring to the surface in this moment? Speak. We are listening. No, at this point, I want to encourage you as you, you can look at the text if you, if you have it in front of you, or if you just, you may already have a phrase or a word that has just been, um, just keep leaping off the page to you. Um, I want you to pay attention to what, what, maybe it's a word, maybe it's a phrase, maybe it's a particular verse. Jesus, what, what do you want us to hear from this passage? Is there a word or a phrase, an image that comes to mind as we read and listen to this? whatever's coming to your mind right now, I just encourage you sit with that. Maybe you have a question that you can ask Jesus about. Just sit and listen and just be. As I um, listen and as I pray in this moment, what, what, co- what keeps coming to mind is just this verse in verse 2 that I just want to use as a way to encourage you with just what I am hearing and listening in this moment. Verse 2, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. And, and, maybe, and maybe this is for someone who is, is in this room or maybe it's for someone who's watching online and you need to be reminded that God wants you to slow down and he might have to make you lie down. And maybe the reason that you haven't been lying down because you're afraid of the things that come up in those moments. Like when you slow down, like you have to deal with some feelings. You have to deal with some fears. You have to deal with your own thoughts. And so you're just trying to go, go, go. But that's a way to cope and not to heal. And so what Jesus wants to remind you is that he will make you lie down, but he's not going to make you lie down just to experience hurt. He wants to give you healing. He wants to give you what he says in verse 6, surely goodness and love will follow you. And maybe you feel like there is trauma following you and there is pain and there is abuse following you. And Jesus says, let's slow down and I'm going to show you the goodness and the love that is following you. Jesus, we thank you that you love us, that you are merciful to us, that you rescue us. 
We pray that we would listen more than we speak and that we would be comforted and encouraged, encouraged by who you are and what you have to say. Amen.